Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone. How are you? Hi, guys. Um, bit bit of an unusual one today. It's Monday night, as some of you might have spotted. Um, obviously our next episode is out tomorrow morning, but we thought we'd just do this really quick special. Um, this afternoon I spoke to Rachel Cutting, who is the Director of Compliance and Information at the Human Fertilisation and Embryology Authority, aka the HFEA, aka the people who tell you when your IVF will restart. Important stuff, man. These are the people in the know. These are the people in the know. Um, so essentially, you know, we've we've just had so many messages from you guys worrying about when it's going to start, worrying about whether you're going to have problems restarting, whether there's going to be huge demand, where, you know, what's going to happen next. So I wanted to kind of follow up on some of this stuff. Um, so it was yeah. an interesting conversation. It was a brief conversation because I didn't want to go on and on and on. Um, yeah. My main question was when. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it's that kind of double whammy of like people's things have been cancelled and it's really heartbreaking, but then also there's no clarity around anything. And that's the kind no. of kicker. So I think what this interview does is try to shed some light on that. Um, yeah. And yeah, you did it well. It's a Thanks, good grinning, mate. Um, I, I, I've spoken in the lead up to this, I've spoken to a few patients who've had their um, cycles cancelled. I've spoken to a few um clinics and I've got the this overwhelming sense that I've got is one of frustration at their lack of clarity I mean Mm. it's kind of top-down stuff you know we don't have any clarity from the bloody government so we can't really expect the HFEA to provide clarity but um the the main sense of frustration that I've got is that ESHRA which is the the kind of European professional authority has released very detailed guidance suggesting that clinics may be able to restart in the next couple of weeks ish Mm. um the u.s version of that has also released some very detailed guidance um over the weekend the hfea released guidance and to me and i to the clinics and to the patients that i spoke to it felt very vague um so it made four points that said we can only basically we can only restart if government restrictions on social contract and travel are lifted or eased, 
Um, they can be sure that restarting fertility treatment would not have a negative impact on the NHS. There's no evidence that coronavirus can impact on the health of pregnant women or their babies and fertility clinics are able to provide a safe service. Now, to me, that sounds like how long is a piece of string? Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of similar to the government um, when they can lift lockdown, isn't it? The kind of yeah. the four points. It's like, oh God, like when is that going to happen? Yeah, when things aren't bad anymore. Um, so I, I just wanted to see if I could get a bit more clarity. Rachel was, you know, a really good sport. She was brilliant. Um, she was really nice. She was really nice. Um, and I think, you know, for me, the, the main point was it's not going to be months and months and months that we're going to have to wait. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think also another thing that kind of comes across is that I think the empathy that is actually there in the HFEA and the, the kind of experience that these people have, um, you know, they're not just faceless suits that don't understand what it's like to be going through treatment and that's kind of reassuring I think as well yeah and that was one of her her points that she she didn't necessarily kind of say outright but you could definitely get that sense as patients haven't been forgotten they're Mm. just in an unprecedented situation where they're trying to figure things out um so hopefully this will shed some light on on stuff for you guys and hopefully this will provide a bit more clarity yeah definitely um so please enjoy this and we'll be back with our usual offering tomorrow morning yeah i'll speak to you tomorrow rachel thank you so much for coming on at such short notice as well um it's a very confusing time for everyone no one really knows what's going on um just tell very quickly just before we started recording uh, you were telling me a bit about your background Yes, well, um, I joined the HFEA in November and before that I worked as an embryologist for 25 mm-hmm. years in both a, it was a university clinic to start with and then I worked okay. in the NHS and I was the person responsible for head embryologist and I, I really loved my job, I've enjoyed every minute of it and um, I built such good relationships with the patients in the unit and always put them first and help them go through <laughs> the difficult times so I suppose that helps me empathise a little bit about the distress patients must be going through at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And then you joined the HFEA in November? Yes, so I decided just to have a change and I'm uh-huh. um, Director of Compliance, which oversees the regulatory aspects and the, the team of inspectors. And I thought that that would be a good thing to do based on my experience because I know what it's like to work in a clinic and I know what it's yeah. like to deal with patients and I thought that my experience would be useful for the HFEA. Okay um, so uh, you know as you mentioned there you've, you're very familiar with patients and, and how they feel when they're going through this. Obviously the concern at the moment for most people is that time is ticking away and that's always what you're worried about when you're going through treatment. Can you shed a little bit of light on what kind of timescales we're looking at here? Are we are patients going to be waiting months to restart their treatments? Are they going to be waiting weeks? What we're trying to do is try and get clinics up and running as soon as we can. Uh-huh. There's a lot of information that we need to gather to be able to do that. We need to think about the wider picture in the UK. We need to make sure that clinics are making sure that they've got plans in place to be able to treat patients safely and to protect their staff as well. We've got to look at how the NHS is functioning at the moment and making sure that we're not going to put any burden on them. 
and um, of course we've got to make sure that if patients are getting pregnant they're going to be safe and their babies are going to be safe as well and I think all the information that we're getting at the moment is quite reassuring and we're moving mm-hmm. in the right direction and we move we can move quite quickly in the HFEA and um, we met last week our board met last week and set the criteria that we want to measure when we open units and then we're meeting again this week to discuss that, gather the information and evidence that we've got so that we can try and move quickly. Okay. Um, I mean, you know, you, you said that you kind of repeated the the guidance that came out this week, uh, this weekend, in fact, about um, there were four points that you guys are waiting for before you can kind of unilaterally open clinics. One of them was that coronavirus doesn't harm pregnant women or or their unborn children. Now, it, it seems to me that it would take nine months for us to know that, to kind of be sure of that. What we can do with that is look at particularly the RCOG guidance. And there are a lot of papers, a lot of countries obviously have got a lot of cases. They've nursed pregnant women through the, the um, disease and the virus and they've learned a lot from that so we can at the moment it looks very reassuring that it's early days but it does look reassuring that the implications and the harm that that may cause on mothers and babies isn't there so I, I think at the moment we certainly wouldn't be wanting to wait nine months and um, we'd want to move certainly much much quicker than that and okay. the guidance is out there the papers are mm-hmm. out there and we can use that as the evidence for that point. I mean what what does a return to treatment look like is there some suggestion that, it, that you could take a phased approach so maybe the most urgent cases older patients could could receive treatment first? That would be down to clinics what we would expect clinics to do is be in regular contact with their clinics and they'll obviously Uh have a way to manage that and it depends on the type of clinic as well and it's most likely that some clinics will be ready to open straight away and some clinics might not be Um, and every clinic will have their strategy to how to do that now we'll make sure that we have a good relationship with most of our PRs and clinics and we'll be working with them to make sure that Firstly, they've got all the protocols right so that, that when they open, they're keeping everybody safe. But to mm-hmm. look how that they're looking at which patients may have more priority and more of a time-dependent issue to resume fertility treatment. But we'd make sure that it was done in a fair and equitable way. I mean, I've spoken to a couple of clinics and they are a little bit frustrated that your European counterpart, ESHRA, has issued what looks like very detailed guidance which suggests that they can start working again in the next couple of weeks will we expect something that detailed to come out from you guys well ESHRA is a little bit different to us we are a regulatory body Mm -hmm. where we are a government arm's length body who are regulating clinics and produce and have to work through the law that's uh, Mm -hmm. the HFEA Act whereas ESHRA is more like the professionals that come together to produce guidance. So we would hope this week that the UK guidance would come out from the British Fertility Society and the Association of of Clinical Scientists. And it's the same, we've got the American guidance as well that came out over the weekend. And what we can then do as the regulator is take all that information and put it together and make sure that our board knows this that this guidance is out there, which you know we do. We are well aware of that, and that will definitely feed into helping us to start treatments as soon as possible. I mean, if a clinic did start offering treatments today, 
what would you guys be able to do with their is the, you know is there some kind of legal obligation that they have to meet or are they are they just kind of obeying recommendations at the moment as i said we are the gov- we are a regulator and we're mm-hmm. there to make sure that um any legal requirements are adhered to and what we did issue on the um 23rd of march was what was called a general direction and that made sure that clinics couldn't start treatments after the 15th of April. Okay. And after that date, those general directions do come into force. So that is something that we would be able to, it would be wrong for a clinic to do that because they wouldn't be compliant with a legal obligation then. Right, okay. Um, now, so I'm, I'm kind of getting the impression that you are expecting to to kind of let treatments continue or begin again within the next few weeks obviously that's our board has got to make that decision but we're gathering the information and you know it does look like things are moving in the right direction and we are meeting last week we're meeting this week so um, we will take on board what everybody else is doing within the world um, yeah. but that does have to be a UK decision to do that um, but we will just do it as soon as we can unfortunately I can't give a date at the moment <laughs> no, because no, no, we haven't course. got one and we you know we have a very experienced board who is made up of fertility treatments patient uh-huh. representatives counsellors lay lawyers and they obviously are all working towards the same thing to be able to get this treatment open as centres open as soon as possible so that patients can resume yeah no I'm, I'm not expecting a date of course but um I was you know I think everybody's hoping for a kind of ballpark at the moment but you've kind of addressed that um one thing a few of our listeners have or one concern a few of our, our listeners have voiced is that NHS funding for fertility will begin to kind of dry up after this because it's all been sent in other directions, I guess is the best way of putting it. Um, Is there any indication that that may happen? I'm not able really to comment on that because we don't have any influence particularly over how the NHS money is spent or, you know, how the CCG spends their their funds. And that's obviously done on an individual CCG basis. And um, we would hopefully anticipate any changes um okay. but we can we've obviously highlighted that not necessarily that would be a problem but say if somebody's nhs funding ran out due to an age we have made that clear that that might be a problem and then there might be some hopefully there might be some leeway by ccgs in that place okay that's a really interesting point are, are you guys um going to provide further guidance if you do hear from ccgs on that um it will be up to the CCGs to make those individual decisions and to produce okay. their own guidance, but we can raise awareness. Great. Um, the other massive concern in this is is mental health. And, you know, we've heard about patients attempting suicide, which is absolutely awful. Um, is the HFEA doing anything to kind of shore up its support for clinics dealing with mental health problems during this period? We are in touch with clinics and Uh our inspectors each have a number of PRs that they're liaising with and ensuring that their counsellors 
or clinics are open for counselling and patients can get okay. access to service. And for a patient yeah. point of view, we have put information on the website which posts to other support areas and yeah. information and access if they can't get in touch with their clinics. From uh-huh. a clinic perspective, all the counsellors there, there is the professional body called Beaker, which is uh-huh. anybody in a, a counsellor in a fertility clinic would have access to that and they would be able to get support, I'm sure, through Beaker. And all counsellors do have supervision so that they can help, you know, put things into perspective and be able to cope with the, the distressing calls that they might be receiving. Yeah, it's scary, scary stuff. And I, you know, I had three cancelled cycles and I just, I remember the distress, just the distress it causes. Um, okay, well, listen, Rachel, thank you so much for this. Um, I think you know, there were some really, really encouraging points during that. So I'm sure people will find that quite nice to listen to. Thank you, and I hope everybody stays safe and well and we can open as soon as possible. Massive thanks to Rachel for that. That was just super helpful. Yeah, brilliant work, Emma. You've been uh, beavering away today on uh, multiple things. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) thank you on all of us behalves. (laughs) Speak to you all tomorrow morning. Speak to you tomorrow, guys. Bye. Bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.